Well, if you need any more metaphors in your life, I can't imagine. We've had so many today. Thank you. Grace and peace to you from God and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Greek mythology, there is a god, a figure named Sisyphus, a man who is sentenced by the god Zeus to forever roll a heavy stone so steep up a hill. And the hill is in hell. Just before the stone balances precariously at the top, gravity and the limits of human strength propel it backwards. Sisyphus would strain and push against that mighty stone again and again, yet the stone would never stabilize at the top. This would be his life's responsibility, to forever push the stone upwards, never to reach the top. I'm not aware of all of your life's experiences, yet I can imagine that all of us have sensed that we are engaged in struggle, an ongoing battle with something mightier than ourselves from time to time. There are unresolved conflicts in our lives. There are relationships that refuse to be mended or repaired. There are infinite sorrows that bind us and concerns that blanket our thoughts. There are goals that ask for a level of commitment that seem simply unattainable. The song that the women's chorale sang speaks of this. We squander infinite happiness and are driven by infinite anger. Have you ever known a situation like that that is similar to Sisyphus? Have you arrived at a crossroads between hope and fear? Has life ever pressed so hard upon you that you've wondered about the whole venture of life? Now, your stone may not be a boulder that you're rolling up that steep hill. It may be trying to do something worthwhile to make up for something you wish you hadn't done. Or it may be something as simple as feeling rushed or overwhelmed at this point of the semester, which I think all of us are. It may be hearing all the fuss about Easter joy and the new life in Christ when your old life seems rather mundane and not very new at all. Maybe one or more of these is yours, or maybe your stone is something altogether different, but whatever it is, it's there, and it's not going away without a fight. You stand at that crossroad between fear and hope. I wonder if this might have been the experience of those women that first Easter morning when they come to the tomb. Three ordinary women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome, deal with that impossibly large stone that is an obstacle to every plan or notion about what they're going to do that day. Yet even worse, there is a devastating reality beyond that stone what would they find there? This one in whom they have placed so much hope has been crucified, humiliated. As John Bowman writes, no one thought it could be done dead for days, 
when they heaved the stone away, saw the grave cloths wound around hands and feet. I wonder if this might be the experience of the two road walkers heading towards Emmaus. Their friend and teacher has been killed, put to death. There is nothing more to do, really, because his ministry is over. The end of the road, so to speak, has come. A stranger approaches them. Why are they so sad, their faces downcast? This guy must be the only man in Jerusalem who doesn't know about all the events of this past week. And they talk together, they teach him, as it were. And then eventually they invite the fellow traveler to dinner. They eat, they drink, they talk. And when Jesus takes bread in his hand and lifts it up, their eyes open and they see clearly. As the Gospel writer Luke tells us, their hearts burn. I think if it was me, it would have been my stomach burned. But they recognize him, it's Jesus. And just as quickly as they taste the joy of what recognition brings, he swiftly disappears. Later that evening, they return to Jerusalem they gather in another room with 11 disciples and their companion, a curious cast of characters. They're hiding out as well. They too are at that intersection of hope and fear. When the 11 disciples and their companions hear the story of how Jesus appeared to the two Emmaus roadwalkers and how he was made known in the breaking of the bread, their hearts race with hope and fear. No one thought it could be done, but one saw through their pain and sorrow. To be those women deliberately walking to the grave to anoint their friend, or to be those two Emmaus road walkers who end the day with heartburn, well, that would be something. Instead of hearing the sound of death's mockery, they hear a life-giving word that the one who was crucified has been raised from the dead. Death does not get the last word after all. Fear will remain, but it's going to be silenced in the face of the resurrection. Instead of a crossroad between hope and fear, they're now propelled forward, thrust into a new path a path that will lead them unexpectedly into a whole new future with God. This past week, Bishop Mark Hansen, the presiding bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, wrote an Easter message and sent out to, I actually don't know who, I think rostered leaders of this church, but here's what he writes. Jesus lives and resurrection hope beckons Sinners once haunted by the threats of judgment will live forgiven, restored, renewed, and free. All lives broken by sins, injustices, and haunted by death's terror will be transformed by the joy and transfigured in the new creation in Christ. He will meet you in your hope. He claims your daily work and makes it into a holy calling. He lives in you and sends you into the world as an ambassador of reconciliation, a testimony of God's incomparable love.
Well, these words of promise perk our ears and our eyes. These words of promise are a message of hope, sustained by a faith in God who breaks into our lives to surprise us with grace. This hope is a welcome word for us who travel up hills so steep. Ours is a sick world calling out for restoration. Ours is a terrified world calling out for peace. Ours is a lonely world in need of compassion. Our world is filled with heavy stones just waiting to be transformed and renewed. In his book, Listening to Your Life, the Anglican priest Frederick Beekner tells of a time when a very learned scholar, a theologian, is lecturing to students on the topic of miracles. Well, one bright student said, can you name me one? There is only one miracle, the theologian wrote, and it is life. To that, Frederick Beekner responds this way, have you been moved to tears during the past year? Has your heart beat faster at the sign of beauty? Have you thought seriously about the fact that one day you will die? More often than not, do you listen easily when people are speaking to you instead of just waiting for your turn to speak? Is there anybody you know in whose place, if one of you had to suffer great pain, you would volunteer yourself? And if your answer to all these questions, or most of them, is no, the chances are that you are dead. Life itself is a miracle. No one thought it could be done. Jesus lives and new life in Christ is here now. He meets us right at that intersection of our fear and our hope. He claims our daily work and creates it into a holy calling. He lives in us and he sends us forth now into the world as a testimony of God's infinite love and infinite grace. No one thought it could be done, but one saw through their pains, their bonds of pain and sorrow, their ideas of no tomorrow, and said, unbind him, unbind her, unbind us. Jesus is risen, and we are freed to enjoy the miracle of new life. Amen.